Hey there, friends. Marcy here. Akko's here as well. Hi, hi. <laughs> yes, we just wanted to jump on the mic really quickly before we formally get started to let you know that we've... Uh, those collaborations that we were doing oh. a lot during season two, bringing some of them back, <laughs> bringing some of them back. And just want to let you all know that we recently did not one, but two <gasps> collaborations with the SJW Comic Book Club podcast. Yeah. You all should recognize that that name from Bingo Love. We did that episode um, last season. Mm-hmm. They were on our show and it was really, really great. We've done a bunch of collaborations with them before, but we actually did two collaborations with them. One is with us discussing a comic book called Nubia in the Amazons. The second is one where we're talking about Static Season 1, both of which were written by comic book writer Vita Ayala. But first of all, the comics was, were just really, really great, beautifully drawn, so much going on there. And we had some really, really fun discussions. So feel yes. free to check out SJW whenever, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have them linked on our website if you would like some direct links. And we'll link some mm-hmm. of the episodes in the show notes as well in case you want to check out those episodes, get some extra comic book love from our friends. Yeah, but... Yeah, just send them some love. Send Veronica, Melissa, Monte some love. We love them down. Also, low-key, we might have them on our show. Oh, that's a point in the near future. So look forward to that. Yeah, might do like a guest girly moment. Um, So is there anything else I should add, Akko? Or are are we good to start the show? No, I mean, I just, we love them so much. SJW, is they're hilarious. They're sweet. They're, they're just uh, very organized and their recordings, yeah. not like us. <laughs> yeah, so organized. And, um, and oh, they just, they're great. They're really, really great. And I, I love comics. I love Static Shock. So if you listen mm-hmm. to that episode, you can listen to Akko just... Maybe, yeah, you can learn all, all, all sorts of things about Akko on that episode. So, but yeah, yeah give them a listen. They're, they're just great. So... That's it. And, Great. Uh, I think uh, we're, yeah, we can uh, transition into the show now. So Let's do it. Let's do it. See you on a bit. <laughs> hey, I'm Akko. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club. That's why it's a bi-weekly podcast mm-hmm. that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Oh, Ooh. yes. Mow, mow, mow. Wow. It's like, okay, but it's like, are we at the club? Um, but yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> we were decidedly not at the club because today we're actually going to be finishing the second half of Jessica Hernandez's Fresh Banana Leaves, Healing Indigenous Landscapes Through Indigenous Science. Granted, I guess technically we could be reading this book at the club. We are not, but you know, I guess that is technically an option, but I'm super excited. Could we be reading it at the club? I mean, I've, I've brought books to the club before. And how did that go? I ended up leaving the book at the club and I had to like follow up the next day and be like, call them and be like, oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I left my book at the club. And they were like, I'm sorry, did you leave your book? And I was like, yeah. They're like, uh, I, I guess you can come in later. So I literally traveled 45 minutes to get there and grab my things and leave. It was a very bizarre experience. Um, it happened one time. And then after that, I was like, you know, I feel like I didn't do as much reading to have justified this whole voyage. Mm. I really could have just left this shit at home. So mm. Yeah. So, you know, we move with, with with the lessons, you know, that life teaches us. So, Speaking of lessons that life teaches us, I think that there's a lot of good lessons in this book. But Agreed. before we get to it, I have a question. Yes. What is your question, friend? So the question is, have you heard of the Doctrine of Discovery? And if not, what do you think that it is? You said the doctrine of discovery. Hmm. Um, I have not heard of the doctrine of discovery. Can I ask for a hint, or is it like, girl, you just, you just got to guess? Um, the hint is colonization. I was see, you know, it was so fun. I was like, it was giving manifest destiny a little bit. I was like, oh. is is this some kind of proclamation or I don't know, decree that allowed some form of colonization? That I'm leaving it intentionally broad to perhaps be i don't know maybe adjacent to being correct um well but, maybe maybe drill down a little more okay doctrine of discovery doctrine of discovery um are these like shit i don't even oh my god would it be like i don't know like as colonizers were like 
moving on to indigenous land like they were, were these like documents that like they would draft forcibly or like was it like a law or something like that that would like that they made that would like kind of justify the behavior it's giving like you, Ooh, you just okay. get somewhere yeah, that's pretty close it's like it's you just close. get somewhere and you're like oh like well according to our doctrine of discovery like we have the the, the standing to do this this and this it's, it's giving like a retroactive like justification for colonization yeah oh you're getting, you're getting that's pretty much so <laughs> the doctrine is so no this is imp- yeah. <laughs> so you're getting really close so this mm-hmm. is important so i think a lot of times we talk about colonization and we don't talk about all of the steps between the landing the violence the killing the mm-hmm. disease and where we are now and i think one really big piece that's missing there is the legal codification of mm. The U.S., because the law is used, has been used, as black folks, we know this, Mm -hmm. to codify violence, to enforce it. So once Mm -hmm. the violence has been done, you then make it a recursive reality through doctrine. Mm -hmm. And also, there's something here about capitalism. I know, we're all very excited. So if you recall, or maybe you don't, but when the British Empire was at its heyday, you had a lot of trading companies if you would say you mm-hmm. have the famous or infinite infamous east india trading company but you had a lot of different trading companies that were going around the world setting up trading spots and with those spot trading spots you know to to travel you would get a charter from the basically the english monarch but you get mm-hmm. from the spanish monarch but in this case we're talking about the english monarch so along with the Puritans just fleeing England because they're they are like a weird religious mm. <laughs> group that no one was really fucking with, mm. there was also trade, right? People moving for trade and they had these charters, the English monarchy. And you had to have a charter. Mm-hmm. And these charters would designate certain amounts of land. So these charters are completely made by a different governing party completely unrelated to the indigenous people living in the americas Mm -hmm. so then you're wondering how did these charters somehow apply to a group of people who don't recognize this king Mm. have basically never heard of him and really don't see any reason why he should have you know any legal power over their land and sovereignty Mm -hmm. well after you get through sort of the violence we have the codification and the creation of in the U.S. of its legal system, mm-hmm. so at the beginning of the beginning of, the, of America, you have the what's called the Marshall Courts, and Marshall was one of the Supreme Court just, justices, and he did a lot of things. Actually, he's one of the judges who made the Supreme Court have its power. <laughs> actually, mm-hmm. it basically, in one of his court cases, he decides. Obviously, there were the three branches, but at that point, the judiciary had no real codified power, mm-hmm. and he gave <laughs> the judiciary the power to interpret the law. So moving okay. forward, we have this case, Johnson v. McIntosh. And this is a really important case because basically what you had was two people who had bought property from two different sources. And there's some dispute that maybe <laughs> actually the two people, this was it was, two, it was two white men, but they had made up this whole thing so that they could create this codified mm. law in the first place. But one person had bought it from a white settler and the other person had bought it from an indigenous group of Americans. So I used this case basically to remove title ownership from indigenous people and move it to only to white settlers. And they do this first by focusing on the manner in which European power took the land from indigenous occupants. They don't hide the ball. They're like, Mm. look, we rolled up here and they say, they basically synthesize the law of colonization and they're like, hey, we, quote unquote, discovered the land Mm -hmm. and we had a charter from the king to take this land. And so our title flows from the king. And you're like, wait, hold on. Akko raised hand in the court and they're like, a negress is speaking. Um, Didn't you guys guys, like have a whole revolution to like buck the king and therefore shouldn't any sovereignty and land from the king like be irrelevant? "Hmm, Oh, that's a really good point. Thank you, Akko. Well, yeah, right. They didn't say. Mm. But you see, the thing is, it's just a means to an end. So they're like, no, actually, when we defeated the king, we inherited <laughs> that same charter doctrine created. And thus, therefore, this title, all title has to flow down from this discovery doctrine, from the title given by the monarch through mm-hmm. the charters, through these capitalists, trading companies. Mm-hmm. And it completely 
disavows any ownership of any property, any concept of property outside of European powers, any indigenous land ownership. Mm -hmm. And it basically says that indigenous people have the right to live in the U.S., but not to own the land that they live on. And this doctrine of discovery, it's Mm -hmm. like a staple of federal and state cases. It's taught in pretty much every law school. How does Akko know this? Maybe she was in law school. Maybe she had a very annoyed argument with her property professor about it. (laughs) We don't know. Who could say? What does anyone Mm -hmm. know? But but it is taught, and it continues to be the through line of property ownership in the U.S. And it really? continues to be that history, yeah, of 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 that ch- change in ownership. Because think mm-hmm. about it: how do you go from indigenous people owning everything mm-hmm. to these reservations? And it's not just this doctrine of discovery. It's it's obviously consistent violence, consistent treaty breaking on the part mm-hmm. of the U.S. government, U.S., British, and French government consistent warfare and genocide and displacement of people. Mm -hmm. But another really important aspect of that, and really two, is capital and Mm -hmm. way that capitalism can be a branch of a political system, Mm -hmm. which is still true to this day. And Jessica talks about it when she talks about the banana republics and how Mm -hmm. they came to have that name and how that's an extension of American capitalism. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, is the law, is the legal aspect of the U.S., which continues to be a source and a place of violence. And of course, as black folks, you know, <laughs> we mm. know that. Yeah. <laughs> and like we, Jim Crow is not, is only yep. a stove throwback and we couldn't vote like a century ago. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just, I think it's really important when we look, first I want to offer this knowledge having taken a class in it and understanding and I remember the professor kept being like, but there must be title. There must be title. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. understand why you're, you're prefacing this arbitrary title over a long existing ownership of land and, owner, and, and schema that's existed here for, you know, millennia. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have an answer, obviously. And he was like, well, what do you think the reason for needing title was? And I was mm-hmm. like, to codify violence, to codify manifest destiny, and to codify their ill-gotten gains. Obviously, that did not go over. <laughs> wait, what, wait, what did the professor say? <laughs> I think we he mostly just went silent for a moment, and then he ran his point through a couple of times. But it, it stuck with me, this case, Johnson v. McIntosh. And I, I couldn't let it go, because it just... It's so obvious. I mean, Marshall doesn't even hide the colonization. In Mm. fact, he says, we colonized this place. And therefore, this is the legitimate, you know, mode operata. (laughs) So you're like, Mm -hmm. so you're literally saying that your colonization is the basis for your ownership of everything and your displacement of these people. And Marshall's Mm -hmm. answer is yes. And I think people in our erasure we make it seem like it's so difficult to figure out how we got here. It's not difficult. It, mm. It's right there. It, it says it. And this, I, I guess I'm trying to say that uh, that amnesia is the next step in the mm. colonization. Mm. That erasure of how we codified this and that idea that this is just how it's always been and this is the only way it could be is another step in the colonization process. This is not the only way it could be. This is the mm. way someone or groups of people a group of people in power made it, made it with a very specific purpose, knowing well and good that there was a completely different property schema by mm. a completely different group of people. And this was another way to make that schema illegitimate. If violence is one way, knowledge is another, the legal code is another. Mm. All right. Well, that is Akko's cultural context. I think there's more to even talk about that. We didn't even talk about land reservations. We didn't talk about people continually trying to take land from those areas. You know, mm-hmm. the Dakota Access Pipeline trying is another example of just completely disregarding <laughs> sovereignty of indigenous people. So mm-hmm. again, by the way, that's that's a treaty. A treaty is different than something happening inside a country, right? That a treaty is between sovereign nations. So just, mm. to, just to be clear, another thing people like to pretend is that the U.S. did not 
make treaties with the indigenous people. U.S. Mm-hmm. did not colonize the whole country with to like the extent in which we see the map of it. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of internal compromise here. And the colonization process is continuing of ignoring those compromises, mm. which is the only reason there were moments of peace, right? Mm. There were, <laughs> you know, these treaties were why there were respites. And to just ignore them is heinous. This is a history that's really important. Yeah, so Doctrine of Discovery is something to think about along with Manifest Destiny. So, mm. all right, well. Thank you, friend, for that context. No, I... Did not know that. So I, I really appreciate you laying that down. And like, that's just, that's just fucking wild. Like, yeah. what do you mean that like motherfuckers are just like, yeah, I know we're not really like following the British monarchy anymore, but we will retroactively use what is convenient <laughs> for us, even though this is otherwise a party that didn't we literally leave this yeah. place to separate? It's just, it's so interesting how. Well, do you want to know something else? Yes. <laughs> so. The reason we even have the Revolutionary War is before this, the British government is actually the only reason the, the colonizers were, the U.S. colonizers were able to make in, inroads into mm. indigenous territory. Because you remember, Britain was the one with the firepower. Britain mm. was the one with the boats. Britain was the empire. The mm. U.S. was just <laughs> a bunch of ragtag colonies. Mm. But because there's two reasons, the British were fighting France. So if you look at the Hundred Years' War, which in the Americas was called the... Uh, French and Indian Wars, mm-hmm. right? The British was fighting the French both in Europe and in in the Americas. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't, so settlers, what they would do is just like out and be like, we're a ragtag team. We're always, we, we're so strong, kind of like people mm-hmm. do now. Mm-hmm. And then meet a group of people who was better at mm-hmm. kicking their asses. And the Brits were like, we can't have our colonies destroyed by by another group of people who also many of them have treaties with the french so Mm. they would then use british the british soldiers would come in and fight those fights so then at a certain point the british government was like this is way too much money it is costing us way too much money like the indigenous groups you guys are fighting are very advanced Mm -hmm. (laughs) their tactical strategies are incredible and also they have the home field advantage so mm-hmm. we have the proclamation of i think it's 1763 and they're like mm-hmm. do not cross the appalachian mountains don't do it because we're not gonna go and fight your fights for you and also we're gonna tax you guys for making our armies i'll oh, get get ready for it for making our armies go fight these fights <laughs> now what was the american mm-hmm. revolution started with no taxation oh yeah without taxation without representation, representation yeah Yeah, those taxes (laughs) that they were having to pay Mm -hmm. was for the use of basically British soldiers to for their manifest destiny quest. Mm. So basically, this whole revolution was started with wars with the indigenous peoples as one of its basis. It's one of the most important parts of why this whole thing sets off in the first place. The French and Indian War completely quintessential to why the American Revolution happens. Mm And it's just completely forgotten about. They make this story of, we just didn't want to be taxed by an oppressive group of people. Hold on, hold on. The only reason you're able to move your mm-hmm. colonizing agenda forward is because you have this huge power that's mm-hmm. able to fight your fights for you. And then you break off from that power, and then you claim sovereignty over this land and claim it as your own, as this sort of ragtag team of people who were able to fight and get what they needed. And it's a completely, it's it's a fiction. It's a complete mm-hmm. fiction. Anyway, so to that, I know I didn't do it justice, but I hopefully that gives someone a starting off point to <laughs> look into it more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Wow. that I, I will be looking more into this. Um, yeah, because I feel like I've really got to revisit a lot of like just my like, early year history and shit. I mean, this, this is literally everybody, right? But I, I feel like I, I really want to, I, I don't know, I'd love to take like a, I don't know, like a US history class, but like not from mm-hmm. the perspective of like, I don't know, trying to protect whiteness and like yeah. settler colonialism. It's a completely like, different story. Yeah, it's, it's a, completely a completely different story. Different story. And I just, I, I want to ha- be more, just have more of those like historical facts, more of that historical comprehensive understanding to, to, just kind of yeah. back some of the beliefs that, you know, are already really important to me. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Huh. And, and I hope too, if our listeners are not from the US, and if you are, obviously, please do this too. But I also think it's important for our listeners who aren't in the US to hear this because the US also exports its narrative outside of the country. And so, you know, the US likes to pretend that it's, it's, it's not on indigenous land, mm-hmm. that it's not cultivated and created by indigenous people and, and that's a lie and it, it's the same thing like when you mm-hmm. go abroad and they're like confused that you're black and american it's that same or you know someone was just saying in latin america same thing like this this if you look at the media you would think everyone was was very white <laughs> um mm-hmm. we export these ideas too and so if you're listening from abroad i, I hope this is sparking your interest to not look at the u.s in the way that you've you've maybe seen it shown in the media, you know, like there's a lot of new media that you can watch, but I, I do hope we fight that disinformation as well. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, summary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sounds good friend. Um, so we're going to take a little break and when we get back. We'll get into the summary of fresh banana leaves. Woo. So thanks for sticking with us. Also, just if anything was, you know, not said eloquently in the first part, like, please excuse it. You know, I, I get nervous when I have to give history context because I don't want to give anything wrong. So, mm. but yeah, but also if you have corrections, feel free to email us and I'll always say them in the next episode. But okay, quick summary. So for the second half, you know, this is going to be pretty quick because I think you guys already understand the premise of the book. So we're mostly just going to, hit her main points and then hopefully flesh them out a little more in the discussion section, which I know is a little different from our usual take. So, but for the second half of the book, you know, Jessica starts to talk about eco wars and how those are kind of multifaceted, which is kind of why I wanted to start with the question I did at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but she talks about it. One aspect of eco of the eco wars is environmental sciences use of expertise in academia as a way of continuing to discredit indigenous knowing, mm-hmm. right? So there's that kind of delegitimization of literally millennia of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Then there's another piece, which is the physical violence and murder of indigenous people and activists that are fighting to save their homes. And how she notes that this is very similar and has a lot of similar techniques to the civil wars and how it, it both brings up that old traumas in people and creates these new traumas. And she talks about the disappearance of many indigenous activists. Mm -hmm. She then talks about the fact that she can't believe the West's, you know, when they talk about wanting to listen to indigenous expertise, when 80% of the world's biodiversity is stewarded by indigenous people on indigenous land. And yet the world ignores the violence against indigenous people while pretending to hold up their Western idea of conservation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how will investors in conservation if we have 80% of the biodiversity and you don't care if we live or die? Mm-hmm. She then talks about the role of corporations, which again, it's also why I kind of mentioned the, um, the, the, the trading companies. And she discusses how indigenous leaders and activists are murdered and targeted in Latin America because of a lot of corporations, because corporations, they're, they're looking out for their profits and they're not interested <laughs> in what that destroys. And because when they find themselves in the purview of a corporation, it, it oftentimes can end in death. And again, Standing Rock <laughs> happened in the U.S. That's If you want an example, that's a very easy one. They, those people who were at Standing Rock were met with violence. So then she also takes that back to a historical context and talks about the term banana republics. And it's a term specifically related to the U.S. interference and violence in Latin South America for capitalistic gains. Mm. But she points out from her way of knowing and her, her cultural way of knowing, expertise isn't something to be reached. You keep learning. And she points out that her ancestors were advanced in their knowings because they continued to formulate questions and then, you know, sit on this sort of high horse of expertise in academia. And then she makes a really interesting parallel between the Black experience. So she talks about this um, professor named Dr. Robert Bullard, who coined the term environmental justice in North mm-hmm. Carolina. 
And she's coming with a critique of the term environmental justice. But before she gets to that critique, she does want to acknowledge that that term was coined predominantly because large corporations were basically using a black community as a landfill is <laughs> basically mm-hmm, yeah. the long and short of it yeah. and dumping dangerous toxins into this this community and she talks about how this term was coined to find a way to protect the people living here to focus on people's real lived lives and we talk about now how environmental injustice will affect marginalized people the most because where toxic landfills where you know refining centers are located are typically in marginalized communities mm-hmm. but then she notes how academia can take those lived struggles and turn them into something theoretical and high flutant and divorced from the tangible goals and lives and that's kind of what happens with the word environmental justice so it becomes a talking point as opposed mm-hmm. to centered in people's real experiences and consequences and then she 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 takes that through line to a different point where she says there's no environmental justice without thinking about people so it's not really a different through line. It's just more like her conclusion. Like there is no environment without people. And it's kind of to dissuade or to dispute this idea that we have and we think of conservation as place without person. And then she gives an example of how that mixes with gender and with race. So she talks about the Mouche folks and how this is a third gender outside of the Western schema. But due to colonization, this this isn't respected or it's become... I guess the best way to put it is the white patriarchy, that it's internalized into the community. And I think we all know about internalized standards, (laughs) white standards. And she talks about how that's a similar effect on women, where they they face sexism from both the outside world and from inside the community, you know? It's kind of like massage noir, but I don't know the word for massage noir for the groups. Mm -hmm. But it's a similar struggle. And then she talks about women in her community have always had a way of speaking out and she talks about their embroidering and their weaving and how there's stories in that embroidery but the west of course only looks at written language and so it ignores this type of writing and that's true in so many different aspects written language is not the only communication language and it's oftentimes ignores other ones Mm. academia does so this is again her critique of expertise and then she has a good point about afro-indigenous people so she talks about the garifuna people who descended from marooned african peoples and Mm -hmm. indigenous folks and how that population is targeted and isn't given room to be (laughs) just literally be in safety Mm -hmm. her point is that gender and race and environment all go hand in hand. And she also makes a point about borders and and that injustice and how that creates difficulties where it separates people from their communities, but also makes people hostile towards different indigenous people Mm -hmm. in Latin and South America and in the Americas. She does have a lot of positive notes, though. She talks about women-led artisanal groups Mm -hmm. and how they're fighting for financial freedom and community, like, equity Mm -hmm. through, like, the way they sell their goods and making sure that those profits are kept inside the group and not allowing people to haggle for prices that are just abysmal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a really great point to to talk about. And she talks about Mm ecofeminism as a concept and and just respecting ancestral knowledge and and knowing. So I thought that was all really, really cool. (laughs) It was rad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, totally agree. I, I really did enjoy that part as well. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it also just made me like reflect on like my own experiences, like being abroad, like specifically indigenous people selling like artisanal creations, and like yeah, being with like I don't know white Americans trying to like haggle and like I don't know like what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not bar- bargain. Bargain. Uh, I'm sorry, my- <laughs> English is like girl, bye. Like we're done, and I'm like fair enough. Yeah. So like yeah, so it just really made me kind of reflect on on that. There was a lot of, um, yeah, I, I really like kind of the groups that she was bringing forward and giving um, mm-hmm. visibility and, and, and light to. So just to kind of continue on with the with the narrative, essentially, Jessica Hernandez um, kind of, again, kind of revisits this idea of challenging this idea of sort of an invasive species and, and both in how we look at plants and flora, but also in how we look at people, right? Um, how she, mm. she, she kind of makes it um, this metaphor for how for instance, while bananas are not native to Latin America, um, you know, they are largely incorporated in, you know, 
various diets and things. And so how, while these plants may not necessarily be native, they're, they're, they're displaced really. And, and, and they're kind of being incorporated in that way. Mm-hmm. So from there, she contrasts with like kind of talking about how, how settler colonialism kind of encourages us to think of other groups of people. She specifically brings up the Central American Free Trade Agreement, along with the DR or the CAFTA-DR uh, trade agreements, and how that kind of led to many Central American countries sort of being the primary exporters for crops like bananas mm. and mangoes and other non-native crops, which in turn sort of decreased the amount of arable land in the region and also yeah. worked to displace indigenous people. People in doing so, she talked a lot about how these larger corporations were able to buy out just like these huge plantations, essentially, and, and yeah. were able to utilize cheap labor in order to essentially push out local indigenous farmers who are you know trying to make a living. And so, and it, and it would kind of force people, force indigenous people who were looking to 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 sell to sell for way below what yeah. you know the food is actually worth, yeah, in order to remain competitive. And so, just kind of seeing this like. Again, the the intersection of capitalism, the literal extraction of land, right? Um, the displacing of people. Literal. It's just truly, I, I, I don't know, y'all. I was getting yeah. to, I was like, God damn. I, no, like, it's egregious. It's it's it's, egregious. it's just like, I, yeah. like I truly, I don't even be know how to react half the time. I'm like, this is just so fucked. But yeah, so, so there was a lot kind of going on in that section. And then she sort of went on to explore the role of climate change in increasing the probability and the, and, and the likelihood of natural disasters. She talked mm-hmm. a lot about different floods and, la- and, and landslides going on in, in various parts of Central America and how that, again, mostly displaces those in, and indigenous communities. In the same way that kind of you were saying, Akko, how like communities of color typically bear the brunt of sort yeah. of this environmental negligence. Um, I, it, it was just sort of another exploration of that. Right. And, and to your point, like this history of capitalist farming is one of the reasons for climate change. Right. So it's this practice historically is what led us here. This complete, you know, ignoring of indigenous knowledge and peoples Mm -hmm. is also now why we have this climate disaster that we have on our hands. And who is it going to affect the most? Indigenous people. Right. So, yep. And, and, And she... She called it, um, what was the term? Ecological debt is, yeah. is this idea of, for indigenous peoples, bearing the brunt of the, the effects of, of climate change and these extractive practices while not being the ones actually responsible for having put yeah. in place the practices that led to climate change. And so, so indigenous people sort of experiencing that ecological debt much higher. Mm-hmm. So from there, she gives a case study where she was talking about... Um, uh chiquita the the banana company this part was wild i had no idea that this was a thing but apparently in like 1954 like chiquita in collaboration with the cia worked to essentially sow political discord in guatemala which eventually led to the civil wars i believe that happened in the 70s yeah and so again just seeing these corporations not only as like <laughs> extracting land but also actively um yeah. sowing seeds of political discord that that will in, in turn was viewed as a way to just again just maximize profit which is just like fucking wild from there hernandez pivots a bit and talks about just white saviorism and how oftentimes for many white people, there's this idea that like, okay, like I feel activated by, you know, climate change or I want to do things that like help indigenous communities. Like, what can I do here? Never once really kind of turning the mirror towards themselves and looking at, okay, but actually, how is it that my behavior perpetuates just a much longer legacy that I am just a part yeah. of, right? Like in, in the privileges that I'm afforded in, in, in response to it. And how and, often, you know, mm-hmm. I was just going to point out, like, right now people are talking a lot about sort of European countries paying reparations to to mm. other countries mm-hmm. for for basically causing climate change. And, you know, the European countries, of course, oh, well, why do it's it's framed in this way of like giving money. But I mm-hmm. like what she says, which is like, this is not about that. This is about you owning up to your own actions. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't about you giving away money as charity. Right. Y'all did not pay for what you got in the first place. <laughs> come on now. Come on now. <laughs> Y'all come on. did not pay the externalities of your actions. Mm-hmm. And that is why we're here. Right. So this isn't a matter of giving charity. This is a matter of settling a debt. 
Okay. So, mm-hmm. and I think if we frame it that way, I think it's a better understanding of what's going on here because there's always this idea of like, we need to help the third world quote unquote, so they can read, they can stop burning, you know, wood <laughs> stoves mm-hmm. or like, and when you look at the percentages of their climate effect, it's so much lower than Europe's and Europe's mm-hmm. historical climate effect. Mm-hmm. And that's this white savior, right? Like these people are so quote unquote backwards. They do this with Africa a lot that we need to come in and help them evolve so that they can reach the climate level. No, 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 no. <laughs> no mm-hmm. one else is causing the amount of climate damage mm-hmm. as the Western world, mm-hmm. as the quote unquote developed world. So this white savior complex, and again, she points it out, of the biodiversity of the world is in 5% of the world and it's owned by indigenous people. So who needs this white savior? It sounds like the white saviors need (laughs) come on come on now yes not you we've we've messed up the story again we've done an incorrect projection Mm -hmm. again anyway i cut you off continue oh no friend you're good no i mean you was preaching Mm -hmm. i was living we're good you're totally (laughs) fine no and yeah and that's exactly it it's just it really i feel like i mean really i mean there's so many i think theses within this text but i think one Mm -hmm. thing that hernandez is really pausing all of us to really reposition and reconsider it's just yeah these ideas of like this sort of western modernity and like how this kind of linearity to how it is that we i guess reach where we are right now but in the state mm-hmm. of technology and things of that nature and also looking at looking at advancement as an idea of in in, in a way that's more holistic right so rather than thinking yeah. about like okay like this invention or this breakthrough allowed for us to like i don't know can communicate more quickly or travel greater distances or things of that nature thinking about okay but like if that comes at the cost of the literal goddamn environment <laughs> there are other ways mama i think there's some other right. ways of getting there or at the very least like perhaps it is less important to be so optimized if it means that we're literally burning the earth to a crisp (laughs) like you know what i mean like it's just kind of yeah so or like when you make exactly to your point like if you make a progress narrative one line that's only one dimension Mm -hmm. there were infinite other lines (laughs) there were infinite other shapes like Mm -hmm. if you had looked at it holistically maybe instead of a linear progress narrative we'd actually have you know a a cubed progress right you know, cube <laughs> like a cube <laughs> you know what i mean i just we did and and back to kind of what we're saying with marshall in the supreme court you chose a course that disregarded indigenous people you chose a course that codified the violence you chose that course. That's the line that you chose. That does mm-hmm. not mean that there were not infinite other choices. Mm-hmm. There were. You didn't choose them. And right. same thing with the progress narrative. We chose this progress narrative and we decided it was the best and it was the only. But mm-hmm. that is not the case because clearly we got to the very end of this rope and we're looking at the edge of this rope like there's no more rope. <laughs> right. Yep. So... Pivoting slightly. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, Hernandez goes on to talk about the tourism industry and how similar to conservation efforts, this also works to displace and often sanitize or really just completely rewrite indigenous histories and how you can you can see this in very various parts of latin america where for instance you find that a lot of sacred land a lot of sacred cultural pieces of indigenous communities are turned into sort of these quote ancient ruin Mm. sort of attractions and how there is not to like borrow from you, Akko, but there is sort of an epistemological um, erasure <laughs> yes. in the formation of these types of attractions, right? It works to completely rewrite a history. It is both a yeah. narrative effort as well as a f- sort of physical one to to transform a space into something completely different, and also displace the people about whom all of this is about anyway. Mm-hmm. She gave an example where she was talking about I completely forgot his name, which honestly is fine, but like there was apparently right. some. Mormon guy that was trying to create like a an ancient Mayan attraction essentially because he claims yeah, that like sounded, didn't it sound like he just wanted to make it a tourist development like yeah I don't know continue it was like this whole thing where it was like I don't know apparently it was like he was like this reclaimed narrative of how Mormons actually built it was like I don't know child it was, it was like it was a lot going on I was like I was I was like, I feel like even just was, was like child I don't even know what's going on with this you know one. what it like, reminded me of though it reminded me of um the book we read with the jelly clark 
Mm. And um, those like British people who were like, we invented the pyramids. And, you know, I was talking about the yeah. orientalism. And you're like, this is the same. You're just making stuff up. Y'all are literally <laughs> making shit up. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like literally wild. Um, oh, God. Anyway, so Hernandez concludes the story essentially by just kind of talking about this idea of land back as, as a movement mm-hmm. towards indigenous sovereignty, breaking down this idea that... In every iteration, what land back means is like the everyone who was not indigenous has to immediately move, like leave the land. But it's more so just a honestly just honoring indigenous people and indigenous sovereignty, and not just com- I mean, this shit. Everything we're describing up to this point: the extraction, the displacement, the violence. Not doing that, and not only not yeah. doing that, but also working to understand like my role in settler colonialism and like mm-hmm. how it is that I can in occupying indigenous land making sure that you know okay like if i'm physically here you know what am i doing to move away from a broader legacy of displacement and violence and and working towards actually promoting sovereignty promoting i mean just dignity honor for, for one another right so it was really interesting she talked a lot about this idea of black people as as also being part of this sort of indigenous like land back um, conversation and decolonization discourse how when we understand just the history of slavery you know thinking about how it's also just like a displacement and removal of indigenous peoples but in this mm-hmm. case instead of from the americas from from africa right and so she was and, and kind of talking a little a little bit about anti-blackness and indigenous communities and making sure that even indigenous people are working to kind of understand that piece um so, yeah, and how essentially the process to all of that decolonization, land back, all of that is going to be long and grueling, and there's going to be a bunch of layers to it, but it is like yeah. worthwhile nevertheless. We, so, yeah. and, and we, yeah. we have to, like, we we're, have to. we're at the point. I know I said last time, well, we could die, but I, I don't, I don't want to. So, <laughs> right. So, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, we should do it. So, yeah. So, that's basically the summary y'all read again we said this in part one read this book please just read just read the book it's so Mm. there's so much that we left out and there's so many insights um i don't know i feel like i feel like jessica hernandez wrote class truly the book yeah no she 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 wrote the fuck out of this so please Mm -hmm. it's on audiobook too um i listened through audiobooks it's not even that long it's It's 200 pages she just doesn't play around for any of the pages right (laughs) the economy of words y'all she said i'm just gonna tell you my points straight facts right so So, yeah but we're gonna take a little break and then we get back we'll get into our thoughts and feelings i mean we feel like i, I feel like our thoughts and feelings are already apparent but we'll, we'll further expound <laughs> on this all over this, this right <laughs> but we'll see you on a bit yeah and we're back woo Yes, so now we'll just get into our thoughts and feelings. Again, I feel like it's already abundantly clear how I feel about this. I think this is mandatory (laughs) reading. Literally, everyone needs to read this. It's just so... Like, it's not even about it being good. It's just like... I mean, which it is. It is a good... uh, it's, It's a really good book. But also, it's just so necessary. I feel like this book really... It just, like, really forced me to, like, just pause and think. And also just, like, learn history and really just think about something that i reconsider the ways in which i I often think about climate change and just history like i you know i think i kind of mentioned in part one how sometimes you know it can be easy to almost fall into this like nihilistic inevitable like the world's fucked up and like honestly like this shit sucks but like Mm. yeah like you know it's just it's just terrible like kind of be in this state of like I don't want to say helplessness, but maybe that's that's a little bit of what I'm talking about. But despair, yeah, just like that despair, right? And just kind of getting stuck there. And yeah. you know, she, you know, I feel like Hernandez really makes a great point of just kind of uplifting again, just the urgency behind everything happening right now, and also rooting it within indigenous spiritualities and principles that really, I mean, frankly, are just a much more expansive way of just thinking of the world right it really kind of this book really made me think a lot about just like my own western socialization and Mm, the ways in which yeah i you know extract myself from nature or i see myself as separate from environments and moving away from that i mean even even just like the 
I think especially when she was talking about a lot of her kind of academic career and just like the dynamics that came up, I would like just like snap and be like, yep, relatable. Um, But also just kind of like just giving voice to things that I've been that I've felt, but just hadn't heard said in that way. So for example, she at one point makes she was telling a story about, oh, God, I can't remember what the exact subject matter was. I think it was something like this idea of being like an environmental expert or, you know, environmental Mm. science expert or something like that. And she was talking about how for her communities, you know, this idea of being an expert that that's not really real, right? Like, like expertise is something that takes time it takes like an entire life to create to become an expert on something right to say that i'm an expert period is static it doesn't really acknowledge the ways in which all of us can grow or even just the things that we do not know within a subject matter even if we know a lot about it and i was like or even like what's what's a a lot of times expertise is used as something to hold over other people as Mm. you know a hierarchy of of intellect or of resources Mm -hmm. or who should be listened to and her point's like, just why is that even the the scope <laughs> that we're using mm-hmm. for knowing? Wouldn't it be better if everyone was always just learning? And yeah, there's almost a humility in the yeah. way she talks about knowing things. Mm-hmm. It's where you're always humbled by the moreness. You're curious right. instead of, I guess, authoritative. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's something that I just, I always try to embody with anything that I'm working towards um, not getting into a place where I'm so focused on being the best or I have to be like, you know, superior at this thing, you know, like I, I mean with dance, I'm always like that, you know, I'm always like, I'm going to, I am, listen, one thing I will do is try a new class. One thing I will do is try a dance that <laughs> I've never done before. I love being mm. a beginner. I love being like, yeah, child, I've never, you know, taking whacking. I've never, you know, done break dancing. Like, let me just show up, you know, and like being in that space where you're like, oh, I actually have no choice but to be humble because I'm like literally the worst one in this class. And that's okay because I've also had the least exposure. (laughs) So it's literally like you all, you have to start somewhere, right? And it's funny because even where I work now, apologies if I've already mentioned this in the past, but I think something I really struggle with is like, you know, I work in this sort of diversity, equity, inclusion space that kind of brings in a lot of psychology and social science to, to talk a lot about inequities that exist in the workplace. And we are very, the company I work for is very rooted in this idea of expertise and being an expert mm. and like having research as sort of the way of legitimizing experiences of inequity in the workplace, like like in talking about things like microaggressions and stuff like that. And I'm always like, like it's always, it always makes me uncomfortable when like, I don't know, I'm introduced to a group and they're like, Marcy's here and like the DEI expert. And I'm always like, girl, I'm, I'm a bitch that knows <laughs> some things. Like I'm literally, human. literally a human, literally a human. Also DEI, not a thing you can be an expert in. Yes, it's something you can <laughs> like learn a lot about, but like, I mean, the premise how? like how are you to be an expert on that right like right. just the mirrored communities that exist no one can be an expert but like you can hold some knowledge and share some of that but it's not a matter yeah. and, and i can and, and shit i'm literally reading this book and learning so much so I'm like, you know like it's just like i don't know this that part really resonated with me because i was like i i like the, mm. the like you said the the humility that that comes along with that and just humility not only as like our own like a like a framework to understand our own pursuits but even just in understanding the world around us right i think yeah, i mean we could yeah. really i mean shit if humility was like at the forefront a, a lot of shit would look differently um a mm. lot of shit would look differently so yeah i don't know i yeah i i have some more thoughts but I, i'll pause there um i don't want to just like talk for 20 minutes straight but um Aka, what did you think oh but i love listening to you talk ah oh, thank um, you friend <laughs> Um, I think that, yeah, I think you're right about the humility and the curiosity. And I remember I was looking up at the stars once at a place that had very clear, you could very clearly see them. You could also just look at the James Webb photos. But I realized in that moment, like how humble we should all be (laughs) Mm. because we are we're very small and that's and i think a lot of us look at that with fear of the unknown but you know we don't have to be afraid you Mm -hmm. know and i i think the colonizers got on this boat and i feel like the thing they don't want to mention is the fear Mm. and the desperation i'm not even trying to knock them you put yourself on a boat on a very rickety boat and (laughs) flung yourself across the atlantic 
But when you come to something, the unknown with fear, what narratives do you make and what do you miss? Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I was reading this one book that said it would be interesting if we had met, uh, the, this person was from, from Africa, but if we had mm-hmm. met y'all, and he was talking about, you know, Europeans and the colonizers mm-hmm. under a different, at a different point in your social evolution. Oof. If we had met not during the colonizing times, what would that have looked like? Mm-hmm. I, and I guess I say that because, to your point about nihilism, you know, there's been a lot of bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's been a lot of bad that continues to this day. And it's like Jessica says, it encompasses everything, gender, race, environment. And it feels like we're a bit at a precipice. And and I like how she she gives examples of solidarity that not being easy, mm-hmm. whether that's the fact that her father was not accepted by everyone in her mother's pueblo or the fact that, you know, there's anti-blackness in the indigenous community. And, and I'm sure, you know, erasure by, I know, erasure by, mm-hmm. at least I can say me and my past of indigenous peoples and my thinking mm-hmm. and, and how I was taught in school, you know, we're all subject to that. But, but and I guess what I'm saying is I am more interested in the ways we can change mm. um, and the ways we can do this differently than the ways than continuing <laughs> to do things the way they've been or holding on very strongly to the mm-hmm. way things have been. And, and I like, this book for that reason is that it's it's saying to be something else to imagine more and you know we love imagining right <laughs> to imagine more it's it's not about erasing what has happened because mm-hmm. we're never going to imagine more with erasure because erasure is a process that takes energy mm-hmm. when you're erasing you're not imagining <laughs> right you know like you, you that you have to like we said with Marshall and the the Marshall courts and and the the Macintosh case, right? That's mm-hmm. an action. Erasure is an action, the same ima- way imagining is an action. So mm-hmm. we can't uh, we can't erase, but we can imagine more. And by remembering these things or listening, really, <laughs> to mm-hmm. people who are saying these things and writing about these things, mm-hmm. you know, we get to that place. And, and I think a lot of this comes with a lot of shame. Right, whether it's colonization, whether it's the death of the environment, it, it, there's a lot of shame, and then whether the shame is probably a good thing. <laughs> which, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, shame points us in the right direction, but I I think shame can be a distraction because it it becomes a matter of like self flagellation. Mm. Um, so and and then maybe even a sticking your stakes even deeper in your whatever narrative of colonization and progress Mm -hmm. Uh, i just like i guess what i'm saying is like don't hold your grip so tightly onto that like just let it let let go of that i guess what i'm saying is if instead of holding on tighter when that feeling of shame or despair comes about like move towards what 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 recognize where that comes from and then move towards how that can change, you mm-hmm. know? And she she talks about land back movements. I, I know I was listening to a podcast with someone in Canada and they they were talking about the land back movement they had done. And they were like, look, y'all, like we <laughs> the space we created when we when land was given back to us as indigenous people was welcoming. <laughs> like it was better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Which sometimes I get a little irritated because I'm like, I don't think we should have to always caveat that this will be safe for everyone because mm. that's not how things were done in the past like come on it, now. Mm-hmm. it certainly was not you know colonization and white supremacy was not good for everyone that's not, that's not the thesis they right. presented <laughs> right you know and, and there's what's that line like you're you should be lucky that um, like black people want justice not revenge mm-hmm. i think that fear should be very deeply understood like mm-hmm. we, we should be very grateful that when jessica nana's people writing these they're not writing for revenge a lot of in, indigenous people a lot of minorities are not writing for revenge mm-hmm. that does not mean that revenge is not deserved mm-hmm. that means what we are doing is imagining more and we are imagining differently mm-hmm. so i think we should and, and that you know what that is that's love that's love for our fellow man that's love for ourselves 
that's left for a future. And it's a recognition that the way we did things, colonization was not progressive, Mm -hmm. was not the best way of doing things. So if that's the case, then for people who have had privilege, whether that's us, whether that's people with more privilege than me and Marcy, (laughs) because Lord knows we don't have that much, (laughs) whether that's y'all, you also need to imagine more. You mm-hmm. also need to imagine more, and you need and if the, for the privileges you have, you need to find a way to to, to get rid of it. <laughs> you need to yeah. find a way to unbind yourself from it because it's not getting anyone anywhere. Look, I know everyone thinks Mars is a viable option. It's not okay. It's literal. Oh my god, <laughs> it is very poisonous on Mars, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, wh- why? So we should go somewhere else when we can't even. We can't even help here. Right. You know, so we can bring our violence there too. Come on now. Let's just evolve, right? Let's just change. Let's Mm -hmm. just change, you know, in love. And, 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 you know, I know we have a lot of spicy things to say about colonization, which we do. But, and especially with this erasure, but this isn't about pointing fingers. It's about telling the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we tell the truth, then maybe we can we can heal. And when we heal, we can be more than we are. Yeah. If not, we're going to continue on this pathway. And it's, it's we hate it here. Right. <laughs> <It sucks. laughs> oh my God. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I, you know, what's really interesting about this is that this, well, one, everything you said, beautiful. Um, but on top of that, as well as um, just thinking about this this book, it, it really makes me think about just like you know we we I don't know we 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 have these conversations around like allyship and solidarity and things of that nature, and there's kind of this idea that like okay, the way that privilege is set up, if you want to dismantle a system that upholds privilege and oppression, then like you, people who have privilege gonna have to lose some shit. And I feel like I've always thought about that in sort of more of a material sense. Like, okay, you might have to lose like the hoarding of wealth. You might have to lose access, like, you know, like the material benefits that come along with having a more privileged lived experience. Mm-hmm. But I think on a, on what, what you're talking about here points us to the, there's also a loss of kind of that psych, how do I want to narrate this? Like, I guess the, the self-concept that comes along with yeah. privilege, these these internalized no, right. notions of, of superiority, these internalized yeah. notions of deservedness or an immediate sense of place. And that is does not come without its own sense of loss, right? Like to lose yep. a schema under which you've understood the world up until this point to embrace something that absolutely is more expansive and more beautiful, but ultimately more vulnerable uh, also forces you to, to completely revolutionize how it is you think. I mean, that is, that's yes, that is something to like, that is going to be a difficult thing to lose, but it's also of course worth losing, lose that shit. Well, well, here's the thing. Well, first I want to say, well, first I cut you off and I'm sorry, but I got Mm -hmm. really excited. The second thing I wanted to say was you're totally right Mm -hmm. about it. That sense of loss. And I think, I think sometimes we have to we have to be honest about that feeling that mm-hmm. someone of privilege is going to have to lose mm-hmm. that, right? Like if someone was like, "All right, Aka, gotta give up your computer and your phone for the environment because we're at 1.5 Celsius right now," mm-hmm. you know, that might be in my feelings a little bit, right? Right. <laughs> like, but but and so there there is that feeling of loss, and of course you're saying do it because there's more to gain, but also we forget. That privilege means you've inherited a loss already. Mm. You don't. You don't oh, remember oh it. Oh my god! You don't remember it because it's so long ago. Mm-hmm. But you've inherited. I. I don't think people realize that sometimes what ails them, what haunts them, is a knowing that you are more than the privilege you've inherited. Because mm-hmm. your privilege actually doesn't fe- does it doesn't satiate you the way it's they told you it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. But you're afraid that if you don't have that, you won't have anything at all. Oh, come on. But there is, like Marcy's saying, there is more. Your privilege, it might, it might not be fulfilling. It might be empty. So anyway, I, I just yeah. wanted to pirouette off that point. I know I cut you off, so I apologize. Oh, no, you're good. And, and honestly, I, I, Lord knows that, you know, it can be difficult to imagine that our lives can look differently. I know I personally struggle with this a lot, this idea of like, mm-hmm. if I do this thing that radically changes my life, what if everything goes to shit? What if everything bursts yeah. into flames? Like that is a fe- like, that fear is something that, that, that certainly makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I do don't it know, anyway. to, to do it anyway. And also recognize <laughs> that in your not doing it, you're, losing. you're still losing 
Anyway, so it's yeah. kind of like okay, like if 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 loss is going to take place, wouldn't it better? Wouldn't it be better to do it in service of of not even necessarily to to gain something on an individual level, but just to I don't know, just do something that like engenders more of a sense of connection or purpose. You know, there's there's so much just like mm-hmm. loneliness and isolation and ways in which we are just sort of separated from one another. It's like I don't know, like yeah. it's like it, it, it and uh, all of it, like just to experience all of that for the sake of capitalism i don't know like i just like it just seems like i like i mean i guess we all make choices but god i mean that's not what i want i want to make you know what i mean like it just it just does not seem it's it's just not it's not worth it right um yeah when the lives we could be living is yeah it just could be so much better than this yeah Um, yeah i agree i mean look no one's saying it's it's gonna be easy right Mm -hmm. like it's not fun to have the wrongs made obvious to you right Mm -hmm. right like we said there's a deep feeling of shame whatever that is i remember the first time i got called out for something god does it hurt it hurts so Mm -hmm. bad i've been called out for indigenous stuff before i mean Mm -hmm. it was a lot younger than i am now and it's what Mm -hmm. sent me on a journey to learn more but it didn't feel good to you know it doesn't feel good to realize that you've embodied something or some thought that diminishes other people. Mm-hmm. But exactly, like take that feeling and don't just push it deep inside yourself and don't project it on the person that made you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Open it up and examine it because what you're going to find in that bad feeling that you don't want to examine is your humanity. Mm-hmm. And that all that thing, all it's going to ask you to do is is expand and be more. So so just just open it up, look at it examine it and then and then learn more mm-hmm. and then be more and no one's asking you're not going to be perfect okay you're going to screw up again mm-hmm. but be brave okay yeah. <laughs> be brave and keep going and if you don't end up the best person you ever been you've ever been well you you'll mm-hmm. probably end up a better person mm-hmm. you'll probably like yourself more frankly come on <laughs> you know? come on now so just give it a shot like you know yeah. and if someone says something and knocks you down just get back up and you yeah. know you'll you'll be okay. Right. You might even, you know, meet someone you never would have imagined you would have met and someone you never would have imagined you would have loved. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine when you meet that person and you think that you wouldn't have met them because because, <laughs> because you had such a myopic view mm. of how the world should be? Like doesn't that break your heart? You know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, and 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 really just sitting with the imagination that like damn like i could really be so much more than this like yeah. I, I like there's a better me that i can tap into and, and when i say better i'm not saying it in like the optimized capitalist like yeah i could be more, more productive, productive. Get more, like, yeah like nah, nah, fuck all that but like just <laughs> an access of me that like that just like when we think of just a, alignment and in, in, in a sense of how does I want to exist in this world? How does I want to show up? That like that that it's not yeah. just an aspiration. It's something that I can actually embody. It's something that I can actually be. It's actually part of who I am currently. I just need to kind of access that within me, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not even like a seeking. It, it's like a bringing. It's like an inside out kind of motion yes. in, in my mind, as opposed to sort of a seeking of of another externality of yourself, right? Um, yes. So just to know that that is inside you too, and the belief that you can embody and you deserve to embody that as well. All I'm seeing is benefits. All I'm seeing right. is the benefits. Um, right. So, and then hell, you know, maybe on when you become and I become and Marcy becomes, maybe we fix the planet too. Who knows? Right. Then we get another two million years or something. I mean, listen. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, y'all. I don't know. We 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 don't have we don't have answers. We just have our thoughts and our imaginings and, and our love, you know, mm-hmm. that we have for each other, that we have for hope that we have for, for y'all that mm-hmm. listen and everyone who doesn't, and you know, that's, we hope that's enough. And, and I think this book, Jessica really bravely writes this, mm-hmm. you know, w- with hope is really what she wrote. And I mm-hmm. think that's, it's hope, but it's not a fake flimsy hope. Yeah. It's an honest hope, you know, and, and, Filled with truth, filled with an examination of what has been, and filled with an examination of what could be, you know. Mm. So, so yeah, read this book. Yeah, read this book. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to tell us about this book, (laughs) 
you know, we have an email. These kind of pages at gmail.com. <laughs> if, <we laughs> if you want to also tweet us, you can. I don't recommend it, but you can. And we have an Instagram. You can also <laughs> check that too. <laughs> we have a website, thesecolorpages.com. And um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Akko. And of course, if this episode brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, because this is what? Poetry! <laughs> Feel free to leave us some love wherever you're listening to this podcast. Could be our podcast or not. Um, yes, a rating, <laughs> comment, review. We always love Ooh, to see it. Um, what's up? Oh, um, and especially for those listening on Spotify, there's a there's a there's a rating system now. You can you can leave us a little star moment. So like mm. the Spotify girlies, no excuse, no excuse. <laughs> I'm looking at y'all. I am looking. If y'all can leave us a, a five star, thank you very much. Appreciate <laughs> appreciate. Thank you, thank you so much. Anyway, <laughs> if you know anyone in your life personally where you're like, you know what you need. Um, again, just fresh banana leaves, healing indigenous landscapes through indigenous <laughs> science. I'm not going to bullshit y'all and be like, yeah, throw your phone into like a p- swimming pool. Like, yeah, like don't do all that. Literally just send mm-hmm. them this episode or really just yeah. send them the book, send them the book. If they get to the episode, cool. If they don't, whatever. But like, <laughs> make sure that you're spreading this book around. It is literally so important. Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> so yes. Also, our next book that we're going to be reading is going to be a bit of a pivot, but it is one that should be fairly exciting. And so we're, next time, we're actually going to be reading part one of a book called Neotenica by June Aluchi Lee. So we'll be getting into that next time. But between now and then, Aqua, are there any other things that we should leave our listeners with before we head out? No, just until we meet again, remember to... Stay colorful!